this afternoon we're going to take on a study in righteousness, talking about civic righteousness. When we talk about civic, we're talking about civil and social life, the interactions with the people, with the citizens, within a society, within a society. And we ambassadors of Christ, and we represent Jesus Christ and his kingdom. He said in chapter 54, the 14th verse, he says, In righteousness shalt thou be established, thou shalt be far from oppression, for thou shalt not fear, and from terror, for it shall not come nigh thee. Verse 17, No weapon that is formed against thee shall prosper, and every tongue that shall rise up against thee in judgment thou shalt condemn. This is the heritage of the servants of the Lord, and their righteousness is of me, saith the Lord. This is a righteousness that's not inherent in man. This is Christ's imputed righteousness unto us. But we take that righteousness, his righteousness, and build up on it because he had put us in right standing with God. In other words, he had justified us. And through his justification, we build righteousness just as he built righteousness. As righteousness came through obedience and the things he suffered. Righteousness came through the life that he lived. It's a life that he lived. So you don't just concentrate on the death burial of Jesus Christ. It's the life of Jesus Christ. We have to look at what type life he lived and we have to live that type life to live in his image and his likeness. That's why it says a body he had given unto us, a body that he had prepared. And the church is his body so that our body is no longer our bodies. And we present this body unto him as a living sacrifice for him to live his life in and through us in that by living with the mind of Jesus Christ, he shapes us and molds us in his image and his likeness. We know of things by the word of God, just as the, through consciousness, the, the, the Gentiles through faith. The Gentiles has always worked through that way of faith, their consciences, in other words, because they didn't have the law but through their consciences of what's right and wrong. But what happens, he gives us a new idea. Because if we read in the book of Micah, the sixth chapter and the eighth verse, he says, He had already shown thee, he had showed the old man what is good, and what doeth the Lord require of thee. But to do justly, and to love mercy, and to walk humbly with thy God. Well, we know Cornelius, we know the Roman centurion, we know that some people have had a mind toward God and knew what God was requiring, a legal standard of God, but it was not their own righteousness. This is what something that they were looking to God for, that this is the emptiness that God feel in their lives. Uh, the Amplified reads, He has told you, O man, what is good and what does the Lord require of you except to be just. And the only way we can be just is God makes us just. And no man since Adam, since he was our corporate head, 
we didn't have justice in us. There's none good but God, so we didn't have it in us to be just. We may have knew what just was, but that's why he gave us the law, because the law showed that we were transgressors of God's law and that we couldn't keep the law in the flesh. And that that's why people hunger and look unto Christ to help them fulfill or keep God's law. And it's by faith in Christ. He says, to love and to diligently practice. And that's the key here. Practice, in other words, that's what we do. We walk in the way of God. Our daily life has to be a habitual practicing of walking the way Jesus Christ walked kindness and compassion that is to walk humbly with your God setting aside any self overblown sense of importance a self righteousness of our own but taking his righteousness upon us uh, what does it mean to act justly by what Micah says in the 6 and 8 verse justice is defined as the quality of being just and I told you only God can put us in a state where we are just. We notice that uh, righteous Lot, he called Lot righteous, but it was because he had imputed justice to Lot. He had reckoned Lot that way. He had accounted it to Lot, just like he reckoned it to Job, just like he said Job was a perfect and upright man before the Lord. That's because he walked before the Lord in his life. He practiced or tried to practice that thing in which his conscience was toward God. It is righteousness, equitableness, and moral rightness. It is righteousness, equitableness, and moral righteousness. To be just is a call to action, not to be silent, a complacent when up when others, especially the most vulnerable, are abused, mistreated, and need scorn or exploited. In other words, how do we treat our fellow man? How do we treat our neighbor? How do we treat those that are being misused and abused? As Job says, he the widows looked unto Job, the poor, the the orphans, the the one that needed work, the one that needed things, because Job was a just and a merciful and honorable man before God. Yes. He walked this way before God. So it's, it's an action that's required. It's what we should be doing, and that's what God requires us of to do. That's an obligation or responsibility. Now, when I say practice these things, when we pray that thy kingdom come, God gives us a new birth in this new birth when we are born again we're born into his kingdom yes. we are born unto Christ we conveyed into the kingdom of God at that time he had given us eternal life he had placed us into the body of Christ we had been birthed into him so now we have to walk therein there's something that we have to do he says, it is finished. All we have to do is walk therein. There's an action required. He tells us to work out our own salvation. Yes. 
So this is a work. This is not just being still or being passive or complacent. Matthew, the third chapter, the first to the second verse says, In those days when John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea and saying, Repent ye, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is he that was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah, saying, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare ye the way of the Lord. Make its path straight. They amplified for that second portion of that verse says, Repent, change your inner self, your old way of thinking, regretting and having remorse for past sins. Live your life in a way that proves repentance, that show that you've turned on a different course of life. As Peter preached in the book of Acts, the second chapter in the 38th verse, Repent. So it requires a turning away from self or, or your old ways or your way of doing things. Seeks God's purpose for you, uh, for your life. What should you be doing? What purpose? Why are you here? What God wants you to be doing? Yes. And that's why we should be coming into the house of God, seeking the kingdom of God and finding out what should we be putting our hands to doing. And then he says, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And some scriptures where it says the kingdom of God is among us. So this is something that you comprehend in the eyes of faith. By the hearing of the word of God, we comprehend these things that there's a kingdom. There's a, a kingdom that surrounds us. The word underlying that word kingdom, the Greek word basilia, uh, Strong's Concordance number 932, which means a kingdom or realm. R-E-A-L-M, a realm. That is the area of country that a king governs. You remember he told Pilate, my kingdom is not of this world. That's when Pilate felt a relief because it wasn't of this physical thing, he says, but it's a spiritual kingdom. But that kingdom is impinging upon this world. That's the rock that came in and smote this image. So this world is passing away. The foundations of this world is passing away. There is a kingdom, and we pray that thy, king, that thy kingdom come. Each day when we pray, thy kingdom come. That's a ram, and Jesus is our king. This king is on the way. And we do just like John the Baptist. We go about with a proclamation of the gospel that we should repent and turn to God because the kingdom is at hand. It is near. It is right here at the door. It can also denote a royal, a kingly power, an authority, a dominion, a king's reign or rule, or even his royal dignity. So that authority that he gives us, we're taking back the, the dominion of the earth that we initially had because when we were born and, and he made us in the beginning and given us dominion, that was soil or that was given up in Adam when Adam fell through disobedience. He turned that over to Satan. But Jesus Christ, the second Adam, got that back from us. It's through his obedience to God. That's why it says his sinless life, the life he lived, was a life of obedience to God. It was of righteousness. He lived by the law of God. He was the fulfillment of the law. 
He was the end of the law. In other words, that law was fulfilled in Jesus Christ. He kept the law because we couldn't keep it. That was something we couldn't do. So he was our substitute. He did what we couldn't do. He took our place. So it is not only speaks of the king's geographical domain, but it also refers to his authority and right to govern. In other words, in his sovereignty. And God speaks of Noah and speaks of owning the earth and the smith that formeth the tools and everything. God is sovereign and Jesus Christ came as that representative of the Father and God had given him all power and authority and he is investing that into us. That's the works that we begin to do believing in Jesus Christ because anything or all things is possible to him that believeth. So we're taking back the dominion. We're taking back the authority to them. To who? To those that believe upon him, upon the Son. He had given the power, that authority to become the sons of God. The idea of the kingdom of God then is not limited to a specific place or even a particular time. In other words, it's not something that's circular. It's linear. In other words, it started at a point and it has an ending point. It's going somewhere. It ends in the millennial reign when Christ rules and reigns upon the earth in the Davidic kingdom and he turns the earth, uh, delivers it up to G- back to God after he had put down all enemies, even put down death. So we are part of that ruling and reigning with him and helping to rule and reign with Christ. So we start to walk in these things. We started to increase in these things, increase in righteousness, by putting on Christ. It's the righteousness that's of Christ. And as we put him on, we become in his image and in, in his likeness. And I told you, it's not geographical because he calls us out of the world. He says, come out of Babylon. We come out of the world and enter into his realm and his domain, and we're sitting in heavenly places with him. Our kingdom, we're like him. We're ambassadors of Christ. We're citizens of another kingdom now. It is the reign or rule of God wherever and whenever it is in effect. So from that time on that Jesus says the Father had given him all power and authority was given unto him. So we have to capitalize on that. We have to start walking in that. Thus, the Apostle Paul can write in the book of Colossians 1 and 13 that God's converted people have already been conveyed into the kingdom of the Son of of His love. First Colossians, Colossians, the first chapter, 11 to 13 says, We pray that you may be strengthened and invigorated with all power according to His glorious might to attain every kind of endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to share in his inheritance of the saints, that is, God's people in light, in the light. And we're the light of the world. We walk in light. Everything about us is light now because he was a light unto the Gentiles. And he said that he be taken away will be the lights of the world. 
It's an incomparable price. Uh, For he has rescued us and has drawn us to himself from the dominion of darkness and has transferred us to the kingdom of his son. So we no longer walk in darkness. We're no longer in the kingdom of darkness. This is a past tense verb. It says he had drawn us to himself and rescued us from darkness and transferred us us to the kingdom of his beloved. So we're now where the kingdom of God is within us, it is among us, and we walk in the light of that. Jesus' ministry proclaimed the good news of the coming of that kingdom, but not just its culmination in the dim midst of the future, not a something that we couldn't see that's so far off in the future. He announced that the Father was opening an entrance into that kingdom immediately for a chosen few. John 1, 12 through 13 says, and John 6, chapter 35 through 40, Matthew 22, 1 to 14. Now, I didn't write down all of those. Those who responded positively to his call would come under Christ's rule in this life. In this life, we would be able to comprehend. That's why I say some through faith, some through belief, would be able to comprehend that in this life. Not all, but some. Uh, That's Luke, the 12th chapter, and the 32nd verse. John, the 4th chapter, the 23rd through the 24th verse. Uh, Acts, the 22nd chapter, and the 39th verse. Let me read John 4, 23 through 24. It says, But a time is coming and is already here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit, that is, from the heart, from the inner self. He gives us a new heart. He worshiped in spirit and in truth. For the Father seeks such people to be his worshipers. God is a spirit that is the source of life, yet he is invisible to mankind. Only those that are looking through the eyes of faith can see. And those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. So we are to do the truth. We're to walk and be led in the Spirit. Those that are led by the Spirit of God are the sons of God. That's why he gave us of his Spirit. Those of us that are born again, he had given us the Holy Spirit, another comforter. He shall be with us. He shall be in us. He's the one that's going to guide us and lead us into all truth. That's why we have to follow the prompting of the Spirit. Uh, another one I gave you was First Thessalonians, the second chapter. I'm going to read the First Thessalonians, the second chapter, 11 through the 12th verse. And it says, For you know how we were exhorting and encouraging and employing each one of you, just as the Father does in dealing with his own children, guiding you to live lives of honor, moral courage, and personal integrity. That kind of reflects back to what I said in the book of Michael when it says you know what that is to do. is to do right, to do justly. To walk in a righteous way. In other words, of honor, moral courage, and personal integrity. Worthy of the God who saves you and calls you into his own kingdom and glory. 
So we have to walk worthy. I told you, it's an action. It's a walk. It's a way of life. You have to live this way because now you're a child of God. You, you, you have to get away from those appearances of evil. You, you can't walk in darkness you, and have no fellowship with the works of darkness. The Living Version reads, We talk to you as a father to his own children. Don't you remember? You remember how he called Timothy his son? How the the pastor, the the apostles pleaded with the now that you are children of God, you cry, Abba, Father. So we preach and teach. And he told Peter to feed my sheep, not lording it over the flock, but someone that loves and cares for the sheep. And you, we are brothers and sisters, and so we try to treat you with this love pleading with you, encouraging you, and even demanding that your daily lives should not embarrass God, but bring joy to him who invited you into his kingdom to share into his glory. You remember David, he says, now David, the reason the sword won't depart from your house is because you caused my name to be blaspheming among the Gentiles. We can't do things that's going to bring a reproach on the body of Christ. That's going to bring a reproach upon the church. Remember, our body is no longer our body. We can't do with our body and our lives the way we want them. And I told you another one was Hebrews, the book of Hebrews, the 12th chapter, 27 through the 29th verse. I'll read that one out of the Amplified. Now this expression, yet once more, indicates the removal and final transformation of all those things which cannot be shaken. That is, of that which has been created, so that those things which cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore, since we receive a kingdom which cannot be shaken, let us show gratitude and offer to God pleasing service, acceptable worship with reverence and awe, our God is indeed a consuming fire. So everything else in the world, he's going to remove evildoers. Anything that can be shaken, if the foundations be destroyed, and he's the elements of the world, everything of this world, I tell you, this world is passing away. Yes. That sm- stone had smote the image. We are helping to establish the laws of God in righteousness. That's why our character has to be in righteousness because God is a consuming fire. So wherever we transgress God, if it's our children or whomever it be, he says those that sin against me, I'll take it. Every sin and transgression will receive its just recompense of reward. So that's why we can't continue in sin. We have to see ourselves as unworthy of God and that only He is worthy and that we have to die to self because everything we do, it, it borders with sin. Sin is right there. When I attempt to do good, evil is right there. Maybe the motivation and everything. That's why we have to have an internal change. The motives and why we do things. The ramifications of all those things. In terms of our responsibility to God, the implications of this verse is very tremendous. It dogmatically informs us that we have already been conveyed, that it is translated or transferred into his kingdom. That we are in Christ. And the kingdom of God is right there. So we have to walk therein. How can some say we are not already in God's kingdom? When he says that he had transformed you from darkness 
into the marvelous light. And that we have to walk in the light as he's in the light because he has no fellowship in darkness. We we can't go in darkness. We absolutely do not have to wait for the resurrection of Christ to return to be considered by God as part of his kingdom. The kingdom of God, we have to see. As he told Martha, I am the resurrection. She says, I know he'll live again in the resurrection. He says, I am the resurrection. He that believe in So we have to believe that we have eternal life, that he's given us eternal life right now. This is a, a, a possession that we possess. Are we who call him Abba Father not already his children? That's why I say everybody can't pray that prayer. Our Father, and he tells us, pray our Father, pray to the Father in my name, and anything you ask the Father in my name that he will do. The reason some of us not receiving is because God is not all of our fathers. We're not in the family of God. The reason some in that family of God don't receive, they ask in a miss. They ask it for the wrong reasons, the wrong motivations. So, we pray that thy kingdom come because he's done showed us, he's done given us a taste, and he's done seal us with his spirit. He adopted us. That's why he says, now pray our father. We pray our father. In other words, you've placed us into your family. Christ now is our brother. We're joint heirs with Christ. So we have to practice righteousness. You remember I told you that practice, just like we practice the presence of God. We know that he's here with us and he never leaves us because his word says he'll never leave us and he'll never forsake us. So we have to walk in righteousness because why? He imputed his righteousness unto us. So we, the, the Jews missed it because it was their own righteousness. If you look at Romans the 10th chapter, they tried to attain it by their own righteousness. This has to be the righteousness of Christ that's imputed unto us. Once he imputes his righteousness unto us, once we are born again by faith, we look unto Jesus Christ and look unto him for everything, not ourselves. Through Christ I can do all of these things. Ecclesiastes 9 and 10 says, Whatsoever thine hand findeth to do, do it with thine might, for there is no work, nor device, nor knowledge, nor wisdom in the grave, whither whither thy goest. So we do not have to become skilled at everything we put our hands to. I started to talk about that last week before we were closing. But we do have to be busy. We have to be doing something. So it's no use sitting around here waiting till you die. You need to be busy about the Lord's work. And the thing about it is, he says, try the spirits to see whether they be of God. So there are different things we tempt to do. And if we try and trust in the Lord and pray, that's why I said we have to be praying to God. We have to study his word. And he's going to lead us and guide us the right way. It's a walk of faith. We have to talk to God just like a son talks to his father. A father talks to the son, uh, the parent. In other words, the mother to the daughter, the daughter to... 
there must be dialogue that goes about with us and with God. Not everybody is gifted in doing everything skillfully as we were changing the air conditions and they used to cut the grass, I used to clean the restrooms and everything we do. Some does things better than others. Some are janitors. So we're all not hands, we're not all feet, we're not all eyes, we're not all... He has put the the members in the body as it pleased him. So we're not all teachers. Some have to be laborers. Some have to be givers. There's, There's people that are financially blessed in the body of Christ to sustain the body of Christ. There are people that's given to exhortation. They're given to... We have to find what God has us purposed in this earth to do. What should we be doing? We have to be busy bringing this about in the kingdom. People will see these lights. They'll see these gifts. If we go about doing these things, we have to start doing what God had, he had created us for good works. We have to start doing those works he had created us for. He had purposed us for these good works. Now, God gifts and places each member in that body. And he expects each member to grow. We're not to stay as a child. He said, when I was a child, I thought as a child. I acted as a child. But that's why we're not to forsake the assembling together of ourselves. That's why they say, let us go up into the house of the Lord. He says, take my yoke upon you and learn of me. In other words, you need to be in teaching sessions. You need to grow in the Lord. There's no such thing as standing still on a moving train. Huh? I'm trying to think of who it was that said that. Uh, but as we are to overcome, he wants us to be overcomers. And those that are not overcomers, those are the ones that kind of go die out. In other words, they, they'll be here, they're, they're children of God, but they won't be the ones that are growing and doing the work of God. Because like I say, a few he had gifted and some that's not going to make the grade. We, had, we are not purposed to do all the same thing. So everybody in the church won't make it through. There, there were the souls under the altar that had been killed for the purpose of Christ. There are some that don't overcome in the family, that won't overcome their spouses, won't overcome their children or parents. The, all these things in life are, are put here for us to overcome. There are things that we have to overcome in life that try to hold us bondage that he had showed us to exercise through the word of God. So we should work diligently we should work diligently to improve our prayer and Bible study through practice, practice, and practice. So I say you can tell the people that are coming into the church praying to God. You can tell the people that at, at our home praying to God. Not just kneeling down there not saying anything but actually talking to God that are fervently praying to God. A fervent prayer of a righteous man avail it much. So you can tell people that actually prayed when you hear them praying, are they used to talking with God or do it seem like they're talking with a stranger? Studying the word of God. Don't just come to church and hear it and then it's just for Sundays or 
Bible study day or Wednesdays or whatever. You need to study consistently throughout the week. That's why I'll be telling everybody in the church, are you busy all the time? Are you always doing something around the house? Well, you another Martha. That's not the good thing. Sometimes the good thing is the Word of God. You might be out there cutting the yard, cleaning up this and, and doing everything around the house, but how much Bible study do you get in? How many hours of how much time do, do you devote to sitting down there with your Bible and other books and things studying the Word of God? That's where the fruit is at. That's when we start because you need to be able to meditate in that Word and ruminate into what you've studied. You could have a ton of books and everything. I give out a lot of papers and things to study. But unless you actually study those things, when you have time set aside to study those things and learning of them, not just having them, it says even to the point of devising exercises that train us to think and become better organized at the things and at the Word of God at prayer and Bible study. We must strive to be more than merely functional at them. We must be proficient at them. We have to be able to do this our second nature. That be, has to become first nature to us. Walk the Christian living. It, it has to be incorporated. That has to become your life. You die to self. Now Christ is your life. Matthew, the fifth chapter in the 16th verse says, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. A Christian's righteous life, his pleasant attitude, and good works, including a pure conversation and faithful obedience, should not be hidden but be seen and known. Everybody has to see this. This is what you are. This is what you bleed. This is who you have become some sour Christians. It's a lot of people don't have a conversation. I would rather not be around them. Some people don't like to stay at home with their spouses or with their children or with their parents or whatever because the division is there because they're not right in the Lord. And You've tried that and you've tried the different things but you're estranged from one another. But Jesus said I'm not come to bring peace, I've come to bring a sword. This division, you have to not be fearful in stepping away from these things and becoming what God wants you to do. Sometimes you have to leave the nest. We can give no light until we have received the grace of God and an enlightenment that comes through the Holy Spirit. So you can't shine a light if you don't have a light. If Christ hadn't given you of His Spirit you may be trying through your own spirit, through your own ways, but sooner or later that's going to peter out. That's, that's not a light that, that's going to be consistent because it's of yourself. It's a humanistic way. It's not spiritual. It's not enduring. Our lives must produce the fruit of the Spirit, reflecting and shining example of Jesus Christ. And that's why I say righteousness starts to be produced in your life and it leads to more righteousness because now what it does, it creates a hunger in you and you hungering and thirsting for righteousness because this is the only thing that can fill you is the things of God, the things of the world no longer appeal to you. Yes. 
the conversations, the stories, the people, the televisions, what's happening. There's no pleasure in those things of the world no more. There's no more pleasure of being around certain people. Certain things no longer has can hold your attention because now you've tasted of the heavenly gift. You've tasted of the things of God, and that's what you strive to be filled with. Humbly, in all our communities, in all business and home and abroad, in prosperity and adversity, it should be clear that we adhere to God's way of life. That's why I say your civic life, whether you with an AARP group, whether you with the Rotary Club, whether you at some business meeting, whether you with some people on the job or after the job. Do you know the people on the job, their families? What kind of, are you a person that's inviting and that people love to be around? Remember Jesus went to weddings and funerals and all types of social gatherings and things because, in other words, he was the light. There was a driving force there. God's people are looking for a kingdom that's a kingdom that's pleasurable. But some people look to get away from around other people or whatever because they are downers. They're something's wrong with their life. And it's no use in being ignorant or downcast because if you like wisdom, acts of God and He freely give you wisdom and understanding. Letting our examples shine require that we resist the influence of this world. You resist backbiting. People say, well, you know, it's certain people I stay around from around because I know that a lot of time they backbite us, they gossip, and they lie to one another. It's a lot of people you catch in lies and tell little lies and things, and you try to stay away from around even Christians. That's why Paul says, if a brother be a fornicator, if a brother have lying and misrepresenting ways, some people misrepresent things instead of saying, okay, I didn't think of that, I did this, I forgot this, they always making excuses or changing, and that's a discerning period. spirit picks up on that, and they're not honest, they're not real, they're not pure, they're not children of the king, they're deceptive. They're people of the wicked one. That's why he says Jesus picked up on the Pharisees and said, you're your father, the devil. Yes. You can pick these spirits up. Mm. We cannot have a light that shines at the same time, live as the world does with its lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, and pride of the light. People can see those things riding down the road. I can tell people that lust at the world because... Every car that they see, every vehicle they see, the things that they're saying is worldly. The, the entertainment, the, whatever the conversation, because he that is spiritual judges all things. So by your emotions, your conversations, all of these things, it tells a whole lot about you. But God gives that to his children because we're in the world, and to be able for him to keep us from the evil that's in the world, we have to be able to judge it and see it in other people because we're not just in a trying to win the world stage. We enter the perfecting of ourselves. In other words, getting the beams out of our own eyes, perfecting ourselves in holiness, redeeming the time. 
the foundations. I was telling you the foundations being destroyed and what Christ does. Ephesians, the fifth chapter, 14th through the 17th verse, it says, For this reason, he says, Awake, sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine, that is, as dawn upon you and give you light. You start awakening to the things. Now, this is a spiritual awakening. This is being alert, as he told Peter, that the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. And see, the world running after the world it tends to physically cause you to be tired, and that impinges upon your spirit, man. Whereas if the spirit quickens and makes you alive, it drives the physical man. Therefore, see that you walk carefully, living life with honor, purpose, and courage, shunning those who tolerate and enable evil. Shunning, in other words, staying away from rounding them, keeping away from certain things. Not as unwise, because like I say, he gives his people wisdom and understanding. And if someone's not catching on or in the dark with something, that's because they love darkness. They're dwelling in darkness. And sometime after you didn't told them and told them, don't keep telling them. After the second admonition, leave them alone because... They may not be a Christian that can keep up with that. There are some that, that the wolf do get. That's why the wolf comes in sheep's clothing because there are people that are being taken advantage of. We can't change them. That's the way it is. God avenged those. God takes vengeance on those that are used and abused and are oppressed. But God is making a new kingdom. He's making a better kingdom. That's what we're looking for. But as wise, not as unwise, but as wise, that is sensible, intelligent, and discerning people. That's what I say. We have to grow and discern, but we have to be able to tell whether our spouse is true or not, whether they're true to the faith or not, whether our friends, our neighbors, our whether the deacon, the preacher, or whatever, is they true, or is they misrepresenting what's going on in life? A lot of people like to act like things are going well at home, or like to act like these things going on, or whatever. In other words, they're putting up a facade instead of crying out to God and asking God to give them someone to talk to, or someone that, that's why a lot of us don't receive help, because we cover these things, and he who covered these things shall not prosper. Sometimes God has people just sitting there waiting to help alleviate you of the burdens that you carry. But if you covering those burdens, if you covering your sin, you can't prosper. What's holding you down, the relationship you have with your spouse, with your children, or something, Maybe you need to confess your faults with one another. It says confessing our faults with one another. That's probably why it says it's not good for man to be alone. Because that same thing some of us going through, God had put us in here to help encourage and exhort one another. But it comes with talking and fellowship one with another. It says, making the very most of your time here on earth recognizing and taking advantage of each opportunity and using it with wisdom 
and diligence because the days are filled with evil. Therefore, do not be foolish and thoughtless, but understand and firmly grasp what is the will of the Lord. You ha- and a lot of people will say, well, the Lord told me, God told me. Well, we'll see over time. I'm not going to dispute the fact that you say God told you this or whatever, but time will tell. Just because they say Lord told them, that don't mean the Lord told them. That might be a different Lord that they're talking about. Uh, Living Bible says, that is why God says in the scriptures, Awake, O sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ shall give you light. So be careful how you act these because these are difficult days. Don't be fools, be wise. Make the most of every opportunity you have for doing good. Don't act thoughtlessly, but try to find out and do whatever the Lord wants you to do. Now notice the encouraging reason Paul gives us to wake up and carefully mind how we live. It is that Christ will give you light. If we're mindful how we living, God makes a way of escape. He gives you light. He shows, shines light onto a situation. But you have to learn of Christ to be able to know when he's in a situation and when he's pointing you in what direction in that situation. Because they don't all work the same. So that's why it says, seek the Lord and he shall be found. But you have to see that Jesus comes in all kinds of different guises. Isaiah, when he was looking, I mean Elijah, when he was looking for God, he was up on the mountain. God wasn't in the earthquake. He wasn't in the storm. He wasn't in all these different ferocious, the wind and all of the rain and the storm. But he came to him as a still, small voice, a small, still voice. We have to see how does God come to us. He came to Balaam in the guise of a ass. He was telling him, you know, to not go in this direction. He spoke to Peter through the cock that crowed three times. God talks to out of enemies sometimes. When Josiah went out to battle of Pharaoh Necho at the battle of Carchemish, and Pharaoh Necho told him, Josiah, why meddle in something that God had told you not to He had told me to do this. Now, if you interfere in this, I'll have to kill you, Josiah. Now, here it is, the king of Egypt telling one of the most trustworthy and honest kings that ever was, God gave me a job to do, and don't you interfere with it, else I'll have to kill you. And he killed Josiah. God had already told Josiah that he would go to his grave in peace. But Josiah didn't seek the Lord in that. He meddled in strife that didn't belong to him. And Pharaoh Necho killed him. And they took him up in a chariot and buried him. No matter how righteous and pure you are, you have to find out is God talking to you in this situation. Sometimes it's self-talking to you. Sometimes we go out and make purchases. Sometimes we go out and marry people we shouldn't marry. Sometimes we go out and make all kinds of different choices or do things, and the Lord hadn't told you those things. That was self. Notice the encouragement. This, this is an outright promise that he will give us the help to do what we must do. These are promises of God, but we must have to know how to wait on the Lord 
But we also have to learn of him that Christ acts in many different ways. There's many different things that we have to make sure that God is telling us. Backed by this promise, we are to redeem the time because the days are evil. If his, if his days were evil, wonder what you think about these days. Do you see what's going on around us? But we still must pray for the peace of the land. We still must be active in our communities, in our neighborhood, in our churches, and with other people. We're not to gather away in a monastery or hidden away from the world or something. Doing this thing with the coronavirus or whatever, a lot of these preachers and teachers wasn't telling us things of the Lord. A lot of Christians died during that time because they got bad advice. They got people that were leading them, so-called Christian people, so-called people that knew things from the Lord, that they tempted the Lord thy God by listening at someone else instead of them inquiring of the Lord. Because they was in violation of maybe the scripture says, obey the government of those that have rule or authority over you, for they look for your good, that they are servants of God, and they rule, wield the sword for a purpose and a reason. This passage reveals how the early church regarded time as it applies to a Christian. We're to use time appropriately, and time has to be on our side. Each moment and each day, we have to use our time because if the devil don't do anything else, he'll waste your time. For us all days, every period in which God's people have had to live, their lives by their God-given understanding, thus by faith, are evil. The times during Enoch's time was an evil time. He t- he translated. He moved him from where he was and took him to another place. Sometimes God has to move us away from situations. Yes. We're in a bad place, a bad situation. God's truth has always ran counter to the course of this world. So he says, I'm leaving them in the world to protect them and keep them from the evil that's in the world. So all of these happening, but God promises it shall not come nigh thee. Thus the truth adds a peculiar stressful difficulty to life regardless of when it is lived. Some people talk about the good old days and how it used to be. Well, these are the good old days for people that's coming on that look back years from now and time from now. But back then, yeah, those were, the, but those were also dangerous and perilous times. Moreover, since each call out individual has only one opportunity to lay hold on eternal life and must overcome, they must grow. And they must prove their Lord to God during that time. He must make use of every experience. That everything that happens during the day, you need to be overcoming in it. That's why you have to, with prayer and supplications, don't take anything too lightly. Joshua and them took going to one town lightly. And they just said, we only need two or three thousand men to do this. They will overcome sometimes. Don't overestimate or underestimate a situation or time. No matter how small something is, you still need the prayer, 
have prayer and ask God about these things. Stop making decisions without including the Lord. We must not make the mistakes of relegating Christian living to just a mere few hours, but every day, 24-7, because the devil as a roaring lion seeketh whom he may devour. Every conversation, all the things we do, because he enters in through different people in your home. So we're not wrestling against flesh and blood. So the devil enters into individuals. Anyone Satan can pass in through because remember I told you, when you attempt to do good, if you in the flesh, evil is right there present. Christianity involves every aspect of life. Personal study and prayer times are clarifying God's will to us, and that's what I say. Make sure you're getting a lot of prayer time in. Make sure you're getting a lot of Bible study. But make sure you understanding what I'm preaching and teaching. Make sure what you're studying on your own. Make sure when anyone else is telling you, be a good Berean, but don't just whiz through this and say, I got it, I got it. But then when trial time comes, mistake after mistake, and it's going to cost you your life. It's very important. All of these things are very important. We must not neglect the doing of his will as occasions arise. And they will arise every day, all through the day. Everything that we do. In everything. Give thanks unto God, but in everything, seek the Lord. Let the Lord be be spirit-led. The Spirit shall guide you and lead you in all truths. Woe to us if we disregard them, for they comprise the very circumstances that challenge us to overcome and to grow in our seeking of the Lord. So, in this thing with civic righteousness and our dealing with people, I tell you about the bondage of the will And now, once when you were in the world, you was a slave of unrighteousness. That's where your bondage was too. But now, you're a slave of righteousness. You're in bondage to Jesus Christ. Paul said he was Jesus Christ's bondservant. So you have an obligation to righteousness. You have an obligation to do what is right. And don't grow weary of doing well. Don't grow weary of well doing. John fifteen thirteen through fifteen. John fifteen thirteen verse through the fifteenth verse says, "No one has greater love nor strong commitment than to lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you keep on doing what I command you. I do not call you servants any longer, for the servant does not know what his master is doing. But I've called you my friends." Because I've revealed to you everything that I've heard from my Father. I've given you the word. I've given them your word. Keep them in the word. And you are my disciples if you continue in my word. It's very important, the word. You're sanctified by the word. You're washed by the word. You're born of the word. John, this verse presents us with an interesting and exciting expansion of a place within our relationship with Christ. 
it has changed. A friend, do you, I have close friends. All people are not your friends. Friends tell one another everything just about. A friend doesn't keep another friend in the dark. That's why they're friends. A friend is born for these things. A friend loves it at all times. It's hard to find friends nowadays. You may have associates, but not friends. When he t- told Judas, whence comest thou friend? He wasn't mean friend in the, in the way that he trusted Judas because he knew Judas was a devil when he chose him. We have to be careful of those that we say are friends. But a friend denotes a whole different relationship. Redemption at first glance elevates us from being a slave of unrighteousness and, and Satan to being a slave of righteousness to Jesus Christ. Remember I told you about the bondage of the will. Yes. So now you're not obligated to darkness and you shouldn't even have fellowship with darkness. You were a slave, a bondage to will. You were in bondage to Satan, but now you're in bondage to Jesus Christ. You're a slave of righteousness. You're obligated to do right. That's your responsibility. It's right doing. Obedience to God. Obedience, suffering, all that you're going to suffer. But you have to be obedient. Yet here Christ elevates our calling to an almost unimaginable height of intimate friendship with him and the Father, you become warred with him. He has said, this is a friend. When you call someone friend, you then elevated that relationship to a relationship of one of trust, one of intimacy. In many cases, our understanding and therefore our appreciation of this falls short of what it should be because of the day and time we're in. It's people on Facebook and different things that friend people or whatever. These people you don't even know anything about. Some people got thousands of friends or 500 friends on Facebook or you've never, never met this person. You don't know nothing about these people. They don't know the definition of friends. These are not friends in the sense of the word friends. In ancient Rome, the friends of Caesar had greater access to him than his governmental counselors and military advisors did. We have had a president and I don't understand his friendship with men or other people. I couldn't trust him and that shows the condition the nation is in. Anyone that be, that would say that he was their friend or whatever, I think it gives a whole new name to friends and what life is and that's why I say this nation is gone. Babylon has fallen. Mankind has fallen. And that's why I said it's only a limited number. We're in the last days. History says they, these people had access to him at all times, even into his bedchambers. A slave would never know such a relationship. And now Jesus said that we were friends, so he's going to start revealing deep mysteries of God unto us. He's going to reveal things unto us that he doesn't show the rest of the world. And that's why the the people that are in the dark, be careful who you tell things to because they could be in the church years and years, but you're not friends with them because they're not true to God. 
that means they're really not true to themselves. That's why God hadn't showed them anything. God shows us, and our level with God depends on our relationship with God. And there were many people casting out devils and feeding the sick and do all of those things in Jesus' name. And Jesus said, I never knew you. Some people you know of, some people you be around, but you don't really have a true relationship. Y'all are really not friends. Have a, a friend of Christ is a confident of the one in power who shares the power of his purpose and with him. Then the friend voluntarily adopts it as his own, perhaps for no other reason that the, than the basis of their friendship. So now that I know who Jesus is, this man Jesus, I've never met a man like this man that would lay down his life for a friend. Now, there are people in the flesh that are natural people that are naive, that are fools and everything. They may give you their last thing or whatever, but that still means they're your friend or whatever. They just don't have good sense. There's a difference between being an actual friend and having knowledge of this other person. This person said, man, I give you my last. I do this or whatever. Do you, what do you know about this individual? That's why he says, take my yoke upon you and learn of me to know God. See, the Jews didn't have a knowledge of God. He said, his people perished because of a lack of knowledge. So, the intimacy of friends that he's going to reveal, he starts to show us things. He starts to show us the mysteries of God. And I told you, a mystery is something that you show people. And some people, you can't show things. I couldn't tell. It's a lot of people I don't tell things to. Because if I tell you, you can go back and tell your wife. You can go back and tell your sister. You can go back and tell this person. And now I'm enemies of this person hate me or whatever because you can't keep your mouth closed. You have to watch some people. That's why I say you have to know the people that you are releasing secrets, your intimate and close things. You have to know in Jesus Christ, he wants us to come into a relationship whereby we know him and he's going to reveal the deep things of God to us, but not to a betrayer. He didn't reveal these things to Judas. Judas had a topical learning. And people in the church, some things people think that you're a friend, but you'll never tell them this or whatever because, no, it's people I know, I know of, they might think I'm their friend or whatever, but no, 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 no. We don't know one another like that. Heavenly Father, as I come before you this day, Lord God, I ask you.